On September 24, 1848, a young man heaved himself to his feet. He was sick, past saving, and his family told him to rest, but he wouldn't listen. He would die standing on his feet, he told them, and incredibly, he did just that. Or so the story goes. Stories were the lifeblood of his family, but this man specialized in the unfinished, the unrealized. He would go down as everything from the failure of the family to the if-only romantic anti-hero his sisters would become famous for creating. But he would go down, while history would see his sisters raised to the highest echelons in literature. They were the Bronte sisters. He, in the end, was much less. But before all that, he was Branwell Bronte. I'm not here for the grand schemes, and now neither are you. Long history, very short, this is Little Slights, where I talk about the men who lived and died in the shadows cast by history's limelight. Let's talk about the shadow on the wall. Patrick Branwell Bronte was born in Thornton, England, on the 26th of June, 1817, to Patrick and Marie Bronte. He was the fourth child and only son of the couple, following older sisters Mary, Elizabeth, and Charlotte, and preceding younger sisters Emily and Anne. His father, Patrick, was a hard-working son of an Irish farmer who had made his way through St. John's College in Cambridge and into the ranks of the church. Patrick moved his family to Hayworth, England in 1820 to take position there as curate. This fresh start for the family was marred by the death of Marie Bronte, who succumbed to cancer not long after the move. Patrick now had six children to look after on his own, and the Bronte siblings were now motherless. The father sent his girls away to boarding school at Cowan Bridge, but kept Branwell at home with him for schooling, despite the recommendation of friends. Likely because Patrick had high expectations for his son and wanted to oversee his education and upbringing personally. But there is a theory that Branwell might have had epilepsy, which was a still misunderstood illness in those days that was often mistaken for insanity and would not have been tolerated at schools. Whatever the reason may have been, Patrick saw that Branwell was given a classical education, instilling in him a voracious appetite for literature. Branwell had a particular love of fantasy and poetry. He was a great fan of the literary dialogues published in the local Blackwood magazine, a fascination he would carry for the rest of his life. His little life with his father didn't last for long. In 1825, Branwell's two eldest sisters, Mary and Elizabeth, contracted tuberculosis while at Cowan Bridge. All five Bronte sisters were withdrawn from the school that summer and brought home. The change in scenery was too late to save his older sisters, who would die, only 12 and 11, that summer. The loss of their sisters affected the remaining Bronte siblings deeply, and that, plus their rather isolated living conditions and relative poverty, meant the children had only themselves to amuse each other. They formed a tight-knit circle led by the now-eldest Charlotte and Branwell. There began the sparks of the fire that would erupt into such classics as Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre later in life for the sisters, but it began in large part with Branwell. Patrick had gifted Branwell a set of wooden dolls, and between them, Charlotte and Branwell began to make up stories for them, calling them their young men. They invited their younger sisters to play with them, writing and performing for their little soldiers, but the games began to branch further and further, eventually becoming an intricate, sprawling epic that Charlotte and Branwell called Glasstown, centered around a fictional kingdom in West Africa. Branwell authored some characters, Charlotte others. He particularly favored their poet character, Young Salt, writing all his lines in verse. 
His other favorite was his Alexander Percy, a debonair nobleman he had based on the Duke of Wellington. Both characters spoke largely to the boy writing them, his goals, his personality, and his own view of himself. Glastown would spawn a novel in 1827 and a self-made magazine in 1829. By 1834, Emily and Anne had even created a spin-off series that they called Gondol. But if these were some of the first signs of genius from the sisters, they showed the first signs of deficiency in Branwell. His work in Glastown was impressive for his age, certainly, and showed a keen eye for scope and detail, but they lacked the creativity that Charlotte showed in her own contributions to the work, often becoming repetitive and rote. Branwell had ideas, and he was a deep thinker, but it was there with Glastown that he began building the wall he would run into headlong later in life. Charlotte left them in 1831 to further her education at another boarding school. Branwell continued working on Glastown, now evolved into a series called Angria, and still collaborated with her on its developments. But the pressure was beginning to set in for Branwell to choose a career. He had many ideas. Maybe he would be a poet, maybe he would be a painter. But what he wanted to be, most of all, was remarkable. And he had faith in himself to get there, even if he was unsure of the direction he should be headed. In 1835, at just 18 years of age, he wrote to the Blackwood magazine to offer his services after hearing about the loss of one of their writers. Quote Branwell, I have perhaps spoken too openly respecting the extent of my powers. I know that I am not one of the wretched writers of the day. Yikes. Unsurprisingly, that and his many subsequent letters went unanswered. Even early on, Branwell showed evidence of a confidence that bordered on ego that wasn't quite earned and ended up clashing horribly with his fairly lackluster sense of ambition. He had one other great passion, for art. His father had hired a drawing master for his children in 1829 named John Bradley, and Branwell was immediately taken with the subject. When Bradley left one year later, Branwell took it upon himself to pursue further education in painting. His most notable painting is from this time. It is a portrait of his three sisters standing around a table, the only known portrait of the Bronte sisters. Branwell had painted himself in at first, but grew increasingly frustrated and dissatisfied with his own appearance, and finally painted himself out again. Only his sisters remained. That painting now hangs in the National Gallery, and, because of Branwell's improper mixing and preparing, the paint he used to cover himself has since faded. He can just barely be seen, a ghostly shadow on the wall hanging over his sister's shoulders. There, but not really. Belonging, but not. There is even a tale that says Branwell Bronte tried to get into the Royal Academy in Arts in London, but was so intimidated by the level of talent there that he went away in shame and wasted all his money on drink. Most likely, this is just a story. Branwell needed practice before attending the sort of school like the Royal Academy, and both he and, more importantly, his father would have been aware of that. And yet, the story would fit with his life and personality. If Branwell didn't quite fit in with his sisters, then he didn't fit in with anyone else either. He wasn't friendless, and in fact was considered charming, funny, and attractive by many, finding companionship wherever he went. But there is an impression from his letters he sent to said companions over the years that he was making all the right moves on all the wrong cues, trying too hard to fit into a world that he hadn't grown up in and didn't know how to belong to. Branwell refocused his efforts on building upon Angria for a time before working as a portrait painter in the town of Branford in 1838. Branwell did produce some work of merit, but was found overall underwhelming and uncommitted, and he returned home one year later in debt. He finally found employment as a tutor in 1840, working for a family of a Robert Postlewaite in Broughton-in-Furness. 
When he wasn't writing letters to friends of the drinking escapades he was so masterfully hiding from his employers, he was writing poems and doing translations of other works to send to prominent writers in the area. One of them, poet and essayist Hartley Coleridge, was impressed enough by Branwell's work that he invited the young man to his house personally and encouraged him to keep working. Branwell would need that praise to keep him warm, as the Postlewaites would fire him after only six months of employment. The reason for his firing is up for debate. It was alleged that he had fathered a child with a serving girl, but this might have been more wrong-footed boasting from Branwell. Whatever had happened, the maybe child died, and he was sent packing. Branwell moved next to Halifax to be closer to friends, and secured a position as a clerk from Manchester and Leeds Railway. He worked at the Sowerby Bridge Railway Station, and did well enough there to be promoted to clerk in charge at another station in West Yorkshire. Interestingly, while the promotion was encouraging professionally, the move might not have been personally. Halifax had been bright, bustling, a cultural center that Branwell had hoped he and his writings could become a part of. Ludenden Foot was rural and isolated. A friend, Francis Grundy, would blame this move for jumpstarting Branwell's eventual descent into full-blown alcoholism. Was this true? Not at the time. Branwell didn't seem to be suffering in his letters. His family was proud of him, and he enjoyed his job, the opportunities it provided, and the travel. He even had some of his poems published in the local newspaper, the Halifax Guardian, under a nom de plume. By all accounts, he was doing well. Perhaps Grundy needed a reason for his friend's death after the fact. Or perhaps time had given him a larger perspective. Because Branwell very quickly ran into trouble again. In 1842, he was fired by the railway company over discrepancies in the accounts. The missing money had most likely been stolen by another employee, not Branwell, but Branwell had been the one in charge when it had gone missing. Incompetence was his crime, and Branwell was headed back to Hayworth once more. Nine months later, in 1843, he secured his next, and though no one realized it yet, final position as a tutor at Thorpe Green Hall, where he joined his sister Anne and taught the son of local Reverend Edmund Robinson. He was at first despondent in his position, but soon grew accustomed, even enthusiastic. Whether this was due to his passion for teaching or his passion for the lady of the house, one can't be sure. Oh yes, you heard me right. Branwell Bronte had his own Mrs. Robinson. Lydia Robinson was 15 years older than her son's tutor, and by most historical and biographical accounts, was the aggressor in whatever flirtation was taking place. Branwell once wrote to a friend that the mistress of the house was, quote, too damnably fond of me, and later still confessed that fondness had grown into something deeper on both sides. He greatly admired Lydia, going infatuated with her to the point where it was impossible to miss what was going on between them. Anne Bronte left her position as governess quite abruptly in June of 1845. One month later, Branwell was sacked and ordered not to contact the family again. Charlotte Bronte wrote to a friend that the emotional blow delivered to Branwell, both by his dismissal and the tongue-lashing Mr. Robinson had given him, was so severe it had made her brother physically ill. Back to Hayworth once more. Branwell tried to keep his chin up for a time, continuing to receive money from Mrs. Robinson and taking this as support in his hope to marry her after her husband's death. He even began working on a novel, called And the Weary Are at Rest, based on his Angrian works from before. His poems continued to be published under the name Northangerland, which made him the first Bronte sibling to be a published poet. But there was already evidence that he had begun relying more and more on opiates and alcohol to get through his days. A year later, he would receive what many would later call the killing blow. Edmund Robinson died, and Lydia was a free woman. 
but she refused to marry Branwell. She sent a coachman to tell Branwell that this was because her late husband had stipulated she received nothing from his will if she contacted the Bronte boy again, but this was untrue. Lydia simply did not want him. No love, no easy money, no prospects, no future. Branwell had wanted to be remarkable. He was supposed to be remarkable. And instead, he was abandoned, unemployable, and unwanted. His sisters and father cared for him in this time, but it was likely that in that state, all he could feel was their disappointment at how he had turned out. To be fair to the other Brontes, Branwell in the last years of his life ranged from embarrassing to downright dangerous. For example, he once set fire to his bed, which could have spread to the whole house. Branwell was, at this point, consumed by his addictions, writing letters to friends to beg for drinking money. He was physically ill as well, having contracted tuberculosis. In 1847, he drew a caricature of himself, lying in bed with a skeleton leaning over him. He was waiting to die. On September 24th, 1848, surrounded by friends and family, Patrick Branwell Bronte passed away from complications due to tuberculosis and laudanum and opium addiction. It is said that he wanted to show the true power of human will, and so decided to die standing up. When the last agony began, the witness said, Branwell stood and died as he intended. He was 31 years old. The family interred him with his siblings and mother on the 28th. Charlotte Bronte, so frustrated with her brother in life, wrote, I felt as I had never felt before that there was peace and forgiveness for him in heaven. All the errors, to speak plainly all his vices, seemed nothing to me. Every wrong he had done vanished. He had outlived his mother and two eldest sisters. He was survived by his father Patrick and three sisters, who he never got to see published. I think Branwell is interesting to people, when they find him interesting at all, because of who he is compared to his siblings. Usually, it's the woman who fades away, written out of the story, but this time it was the boy. The only boy. He's interesting because he isn't his sisters. But when I step back and look at them, the Brontes, Branwell's struggles can be found in all their lives. Emily died not three months after Branwell, of the same illness, never knowing the impact Wuthering Heights would have on the public. Anne was diagnosed with TB as well not long after. She faced it bravely in public, but expressed frustrations at her dashed ambitions in private, and for a long time after her death was seen as the Bronte without genius, due in part to her surviving sister's machinations. Charlotte herself was the only one who would have gotten to see any impact her novels made, but she too died early, in 1855. You see, there is a thread of frustrated hope that runs through the lives of every Bronte, and it was tied off at Branwell. From that point of view, he fits quite neatly. But unlike his siblings, he was never as brilliant as he thought he was, never as focused as he should have been, nor respected as he wanted. He never met the expectations his father laid upon him, never fulfilled the hopes his sisters had for him, and, I expect what stung most of all, he never became remarkable. The one thing he wanted to be. We have to be careful not to paint him with too black a brush, though. He wasn't useless or incompetent. He was a bright, funny young man, adored by his sisters and loved by his friends, with an eye for detail and an aptitude for poetry. Even his art, though it lacks consistency, occasionally exudes life and feeling. While his talent was admittedly limited, it was there, and he had a passion for exploring it further. 
And yet, due to outside pressures and his own limitations, he squandered it at every turn, and the failure ate him alive. Unlike Anne, he didn't face those frustrations bravely. Unlike Emily, he didn't persevere through struggle and isolation. Unlike Charlotte, he didn't take his pain and use it as inspiration. He could have. That is the sentence that most sums up Branwell Bronte to me. He could have. But he did not. To let himself stand, imperfect and so unlike what he had imagined, was too much for him. So instead, he painted himself out, doomed to linger forever as a shadow on the wall. <laughs>